You're listening to NGSC Sports Radio. Hear us live on NGSCSports.com where you can get awesome analysis for all things sport. Or check out our podcasts on iHeartRadio, Spreaker, iTunes, TuneIn, and much more. For our latest videos, head to NGSC Sports' YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter at NGSC Sports and like us on Facebook. NGSC Sports. We never stop. Now I face up, I hold up, I reach out to the truth of all I'm thinking of this, of the whole moment. You have your reasons. I said at the NCAA. I have my reasons. It's as I can do it because I can't make it on my own. That's fine. Then let's just jump right into episode 68 of the all-new sports show, the podcast, featuring Edward Green, that's myself, along with my colleague Wes Bradshaw. We are here to bring you all the football, that is football, that there is to cover in the world. We're going to be talking Barclays Premier League, Champions League Playoff Edition, first leg action this week, Uh, Spanish Super Cup. Which I don't think went how anybody thought it would. What the F happened there, Jennifer? Jennifer, get the F in here and explain yourself. Uh, There's a bunch of news and notes, including um, just a delicious story that happened today. Just it's just so perfect from like every angle that it's amazing. Uh, We'll also have a bit of baseball news, especially for those of us in Red Sox Nation. Then we'll hit the zeitgeist, watch for, and so raw. And of course, if you want to get in touch with us, you can on the Twitter, at All New Sports Show, at West Bradshaw 21, and at Edward Green. Facebook, we're at, we're just All New Sports Show. Instagram, we're All New Sports Show. YouTube, we're the All New Sports Show. Email us, allnewsportshow at gmail.com. Mail us your letters and parcels to 1701 Sunset Avenue, Suite 201, Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, 27804. And as always, this podcast is being presented to you by NGSC Sports and NGSCSports.com, where at NGSC Sports, we never stop. Wes, for the first time in quite a few months, I get to ask you one of my favorite questions. Do we start domestic or do we start continental? Let's go ahead and get that continental out of the way. We didn't have a lot of continental. Nah. Let's go ahead and knock that out of the. Let's go ahead and knock that out. Oh, uh, your first leg of Champions League playoffs to get in to the group stage. That's what we're doing this week. Um, your results: uh, Astana one, A P O E L nil. Astana over out of glorious Kazakhstan with the one nil win at home on a goal by Varjan Jolchev. Sure. That's that's where we're gonna say his name was. Um, over in Borisov Arena, it was B A T E Borisov. They are the masters. One Partizan nil. A goal in the 75th minute by Mikhail Gordichuk uh, was the difference in that one. Uh, over in Stadio Olimpico in Rome, it was Lazio one Bayer Leverkusen nil. Hey, these are teams we've heard of. Uh, a 77th minute goal by Kieta Balde Diaw. Uh, a man who's being recruited by quite a few Premier League teams uh, was the match winner there. Over at Old Trafford, it was Manchester United 3, Club Bruges 1. Uh, an own goal, something Manchester United is very familiar with this year, uh, by Michael Carrick. 
started the scoring in the eighth minute. Uh, then it was the Memphis Depay show in the 13th and 43rd with a couple of golazos. And maybe after the whistle should have already been blown, um, potentially, Marwan Fellaini scored in the 94th minute. So instead of Club Rouge going back home down 2-1, they go back home down 3-1. We might talk a little bit about that in just a few minutes. Other results included Sporting 2, CSKA Moscow 1, a, uh, a goal by Islam Slimani in the 82nd minute, the difference there. And then today, Wednesday, it was, I'm going to try this one and I'm going to have fun. This is a team out of Albania. It was Skenderbu Kurse 1, Dynamo Zagreb 2, the Croatians with the winner on the road. Oh, in Celtic Park in Glasgow, it was Celtic 3, Malmo FF, former team of Zlatan Ibrahimovic, 2, a uh, goal by uh, Joe Ingbergetz in the 95th minute, got Malmo back within 1 on the way back home. Another case where maybe the whistle should have already blown. Come uh, on, you boys in green. You love a good Celtic team. Um uh, at St. Jacob's Park, it was Basel 2, Maccabi Tel Aviv 2. Great job there. It was a fantastic match, and it was a brace by Eran Zahavi that pulled the Israeli side back in the 96th minute to level, and they'll head back to Tel Aviv. Rapid weigh-in nil, shit to our Donetsk 1. Marlos with the goal in the 44th minute for the Ukrainian side. Valencia 3, our favorite principality, AS Monaco 1. Valencia, always a strong Europa side, might be dooming the French principality down to the Europa League uh, with a three-goal barrage at home. So the second legs of those matches will be played next week. Winners go to the group stage of the Champions League. Losers go to the group stage of Europa League to join Tottenham and Liverpool. So, Wes, um, I think really the only match we need to really discuss in depth, if it's okay with you, is United 3, Club Bruges 1, unless you really want to talk about one of the other ones. Well, um, no, 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 no. We'll, just, so. we'll just go with that. United, United taking on uh, the home club of one uh, Dr. Evil. <laughs> of course, we know Dr. Evil repping Bruges. Ah, in Bruges. That's an old. That's an old joke, folks. Straight out of Bruges. I mean, Dougal love a good Bruges side. Uh, but it was Memphis Depay who opened his account for United after two eh, somewhat lackluster games in the Premier League to open his season with United. Uh, that pulled them out in front two one, and then again right at the death, or maybe even a little bit post mortem. Marwan Flaney, why he was on, we'll never know. Uh, gets that goal in the 94th minute. And West, that's that's rough for Club Bruges because you think, okay, 2-1, we take it back to Belgium. If we get a 1-0 win at home, we're going to the Champions League. And we've now got, this... we've got that away goal, and you know, we're looking pretty good, but nah. The damned United. I mean, talk about talk about, you know, I mean, you know, what that can do psychologically to, for a team and also for a United team that we kind of figured would go through pretty easily, they they struggled for parts of this one. You know, United are still looking 
to bring everything together. This is a club that right now, you know, they, they're winning. Mm-hmm. You've got to give them that. And that's, that's a scary prospect for everyone else is they're not playing well and they're still finding ways to win. Um, but, you know, uh, Wayne Rooney has not had a good 2015. No, not at all. Um, they just don't look like they're really firing on all cylinders. Defensively this year, they have really stepped up. I mean, if you really want to look at it, um, Michael Carrick scored an own goal. So, you know, truly they've played two Premier League matches and a European match and haven't given up a goal yet. Yes. Have yet to concede. I mean, that's impressive to me for United. Um, you know, that's where the impressive play is coming from. Uh, you know, you get kind of the the wonder strike from Memphis, which was all fantastic goal for Memphis to pay. Or excuse me, just Memphis, because, you know, yeah. he wants to be Brazilian. I will. <laughs> but, you know, for United, uh, I mean, that, that Fellaini goal laid on, for United, they've got to think that pretty much sealed the tie for them. Obviously not that they can just go in and take Bruges completely not seriously in Belgium. But, um, you know, for Bruges, for Bruges, it sucks. Because like you say, you know, you're sitting there and at least your consolation prize going home as well. You know, lads, if we can get a one nil win, we're through. Yeah. We're knocking out Manchester United. It is a whole hell of a lot easier to try to pull off a one nil win over a man United than having to know, knowing that you have to basically win two nil. Right. Because if United puts in a goal, then suddenly you're even on away goals. And then you're basically, if United can go and score, it's over. Yeah, it's over. It's close to being over as it is. If United can go and score in the first 20 minutes, you can just go ahead and wrap that one up. Yeah, absolutely. Because that, that'll put them level on away goals. And so United will basically own the tiebreaker there, which I mean, Bruges would have to win by, I believe, three goals. Um, to, to win it, or I guess win by two overall to force it to penalties even. Um, so that's, that's going to be super tough for them. I think one thing you mentioned, though, that I was going to mention as well when we talk about their match with Villa this past week in the Premier League is, is when you say they're, they're not winning pretty. You know, they're, they're, they're struggling in certain places and they're still getting wins. That's something they kind of did a lot last year. Uh, there were not a lot of beautiful United wins last year. And that was the one thing where it's like, if they can get better and if they can figure it out, they're going to be a very dangerous team. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about in this early going with, you know, David De Gea, you know, maybe he doesn't want to play. Now he's confused that he's not playing. It's all very confusing. And yet they're still very solid back there for some reason with that back four and Sergio Romero in goal. And, and they're just playing really, really well, except for, not really being able to score a lot of goals except for Memphis's explosure today. So I think the thing with United is I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get nervous about them because if they figure it out, they're going to be very dangerous going forward. But I also wonder now if, if they will figure it out. Uh, you know, I'm still not, I'm still not lock, stock, smoking barrel sold on Romero. As yeah. a long-term Premier League keeper, we haven't seen him be forced into too many difficult saves yet. No, no I mean they haven't. He, he hasn't really had to do anything. Power to him. Your defense playing well. I mean, they just they really haven't played much of anybody. I know, whatever. 
here is what's going to be interesting to me because there, the newest rumor out there on David de Gea is that uh, Real Madrid have apparently offered him this massive signing bonus for you know lack of a better term. They've offered him this massive signing bonus if he will play, see out the season at United and come as a free agent basically next year. Right. So now, so let's say he ends up sticking around. What ha- what do you do now if you're Louis Van Hall? Because you have David De Gea. You've got Romero who, you know, has done well by you thus far. But then you've got David De Gea, but you know that David De Gea is leaving at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking, God, what kind of a massive distraction is that going to be the entire year? And, and and then what what do you do if you're what does Van Hall do? I mean, obviously De Gea is your best keeper, but if he's already resigned to leave and you're Louis Van Hall, which means you know you're doing Louis Van Hall shit anyway, yeah. <laughs> which means you know my way or the highway. I mean, how do you how do you play this situation? The easy the easy answer is oh well you know we'll just. Uh, We'll just play, uh, you know, Sergio Romero. Well, that's cool. What happens when Romero gives up four goals to Arsenal? Well, and that's the other weird thing about this whole situation is he's playing Romero. They have Anders Lindegaard. They have Victor Valdez. They have Sam Johnstone. A- and it's ended up being Romero who Well, goes now, forward. and of course, Valdez, as we know with Valdez, Valdez was basically told he had no spot there. Yeah, which is, again, so, Yeah, they weird. can't get rid of him. They, they haven't found anybody to take him. I wonder what's up with Anders Lindegaard while he was up in the stands. You know, John Stone, who out of all of these keepers is by far the least experienced, is the backup on the bench. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, Van Hall just comes across to me that, you know, obviously he's extremely stubborn and wants everything my way or the highway. And this isn't this is not an anti-Van Hall rant by any means. But I'm just I'm really interested to see what he does because I mean he has shown He's shown that he's he's a stubborn man. Yes. And what do you do if shit starts going to crap and you know your keeper goes to hell or any or whatever happens? How comfortable would he be bringing David De Gea back in say just October when he hasn't played in 3 months? I mean this this just this is almost to me. This is almost more interesting that uh, De Gea might stay the entire season and then sign as a free. Yeah, I mean, what, I mean, what do you do? Exactly. I mean, because he's not going to play. I mean, I can't imagine. As you say, he's so stubborn. I can't imagine if that's what happens. If he stays there and the transfer window closes in a couple weeks, yeah. I can't imagine Van Hall's ever going to actually play him this season. Or he might just to be a complete dick. He might play him in like the FA Cup. But, I mean, do you basically take a guy who is – I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say he's probably one of the five best keepers in the world. Is that too big of a stretch? Or, well, no, no, not, no not at all. Sure, yeah. No, no, I think he's a top five. I mean, what he did for United last year, United are in the Champions League because of David De Gea. Whatever we want to say about it, they're in the Champions League because David De Gea 
saved about three or four matches for them where they were either losing points or they were only going to get one point. And De Gea saved them and got them in the Champions League. So they owe him a lot on that end. Now that obviously doesn't mean crap when it comes to business. But is it a detriment to your team to not play a guy who is far and away your best keeper? Now, obviously, as long as Romero keeps doing what he's done, I mean, as long as he keeps throwing up clean sheets, we've got no problem here. Right. But it's just when, you know, Arsenal throws up four and City throws up three and Liverpool drops three and, you know, and then, and then Chelsea's coming to town. <laughs> and suddenly you're sitting in a spot where, well, if we lose this week, we're going to fifth. Yeah. You know, that, that can change. But the thing, you know, for a lot of us, that would be like, all right, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to swallow my pride and I'm just going to play the best guy. I don't think Van Hall really has that gene in him. It's funny you mention Chelsea because I feel like there's a few Premier League managers that uh, we've already seen this season don't mind making a point in the middle of a game to their uh, operating people. No, 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 no. Um, but I just I think that's going to be really, really, really compelling television if in two weeks. If, if September 2nd comes up and David De Gea is still at Manchester United on the books. Yeah, it's... Oof, what what a subplot, what a narrative. Um, real quick, uh, do you happen to have a list of the Champions League playoff matches up in front of you? Any chance? Uh, no. Okay, I because I was simply going to ask, outside of Manchester United, which of these other teams do you think could actually maybe make... Uh, some noise in the Champions League if they advance um, to the group stage. Well, no doubt. I mean, Valencia. Okay. I mean, you know, that's a team they won Euro. They won the Euro League last year. It looks as if they actually they strengthened in the off season. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're a good team. You know, they they're good. They're they're going to have a definite chance to make some noise. They have been a they've been a good Champions League team historically. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a team that they'll make the the knockout. They'll make the knockout rounds. Uh, you know, they've made the final sixteen. I want to say they may have made a few quarterfinal appearances. Um, so I definitely think that's one to keep your eye on. Uh, Leverkusen. Um, I believe Leverkusen's made the last two or three knockout knockout rounds. So there, there are definitely some teams. You know, obviously, I would love to see uh, Celtic put together another run. You know, where they, uh, where they got to the knockout round. That'd be awesome to see. I doubt that'll happen, but yeah. you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, just because you're in the playoff doesn't mean you're a bad team. It's just, you know, I mean, a team like United. Well, you know, you finished with the last spot out of a tough league. Mm-hmm. So you know, you got to go and qualify. Uh, I will, I will throw out, and I know it's happened since. I'm sure, but. Uh, Liverpool, Istanbul, two thousand five, started in the playoff round. <laughs> so they were they were the fourth place team in England the year before. Got in late qualification, and uh, they they had to go they had to go basically all the way through. So <laughs> yeah, they didn't start off right in the group stages. So it, it can happen without a doubt. It can happen. All right. Well, we will check in next week on who will be going through to the Champions League group stage. Now with West, that West, let us move back to England and get you caught up on what happened this past uh, week 
of fixtures in the Barclays Premier League. Start on Friday with those Devils. It was Aston Villa nil, Manchester United one. Adnan Yanezai, apparently he's still playing for United. He had the lone goal off a cruel deflection. And then there was a couple times that a uh, United uh, player brought down a Villa player on a couple set pieces, and it was never called because we don't call fouls on set pieces in the box. It's like a rule or something. Um, so literally, literally, someone has to have a bone broken or a decapitation has to be in the offing. I mean, can we talk about this? What 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 is going to actually have to happen for them to start looking more closely at this? Because I mean, this is this was a play. Especially there was two of them. The one I'm thinking about in the thirty. Fourth minute, I believe, uh, had it was a it was on a corner, uh, and the player it might have been Jordan Ayew, uh, was brought down by his neck in the box <laughs> and still got his head on the ball. Like like what 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 has to happen to have that start being because that's that's about as clear as a as a shout for a penalty as I've ever seen be. I mean. It... <sighs> The refereeing, referee, the refereeing already this season in the Premier League is getting absolutely massacred. We'll look no farther than the Liverpool match in just a Oh, we'll talk about it. Don't worry. Um, And it it went both ways in that. But, uh, you know, in, in that match, there was a penalty called on a set piece in the box. Um, but in that one, it was actually, it, uh, it ruled out a, a uh, it ruled out a Bournemouth goal. Yes. So, you, you know, it's, it's going both ways, but the officiating already has been, has been poor. It's already been poor. And I mean, we're two matches in, guess what? There's 36 more to go and yeah. it's only, I just, it, it's not going to exactly get better overnight. So. Yeah, it's, it's what it is. It's what it is. On Saturday, it was Southampton nil, Everton three. The Toffees may be back to top four title contenders. I don't really think so. But Ramale Lukaku had a brace at St. Mary's to give Everton a huge win and boost them up to four points as the Saints and Ronald Coleman are left to scratch their heads. Oh, elsewhere, it was Sunderland 1, Norwich 3, two teams that you figure will be battling relegation, and Norwich comes through with flying colors. And Wes, you know, we we talked about it last week a little bit, you know, with Sunderland losing against Leicester 4-2. You know, this week against Norwich, these are two teams you feel like Sunderland will be battling all season for, most likely, for those, those in that relegation zone, and, and right they've already, now they've already given away six points. Yeah, that's that's not a good start for the Black Cats. Um, real quick, get, getting back to uh, I, I want to start on that Everton uh, Southampton game. Great win for Everton, not to try to bring them down, but I think more out of that we saw that this is going to turn into more of a rebuilding year, I believe, for Southampton. At this point, it's almost like college football mm-hmm. where, you know, you, you can have one really good draft class go and you can make it. But when year after year after year, you keep having that talent drain, mm-hmm. 
you can keep bringing in the young prospects to replace them, but it takes, you know, A, some of those guys are hit and miss. Mm-hmm. And then B, it takes them time to get to the level that the other guys were at. And I just, I think even after this summer, another summer of losing players, this summer, Schneiderlin, Nathaniel Klein. Yep. Uh, of course, last summer, the mass exodus of top players. I mean, you look, I mean, they basically lost six starters in the last two years. Yeah, at least. I mean, six or seven starters the last two seasons of what were really good teams. I mean, they've got some good players. Uh, James Ward-Prowse is, you know, one, you know, I believe he's maybe 19, 20 years old. He's going to be fantastic, not only for club, but I believe for England as well for years to come. But he's just, he's not ready to carry the load. I just, I think this year we're going to see much more of a struggle from Southampton. So not taking anything away from Everton. Everton played well, but I think some of that had to do as well with uh, the level of Southampton. No, totally agree. Um, it's, it's unfortunate because we do love the Saints here. Uh, they are a good story, but uh, this might be a, a very challenging year for Ronald Coleman. I expect them to be very mid-table this season. I don't see them as a threat to be relegated at all. But I, I, think, I think European football might be out of their reach this season. And don't forget, they've still got to play that, too. Ooh, that's going to be fun. Um, over for the Swans, it was Swansea 2, Newcastle nil For the second straight week, the Swansies get to play a, against a 10-man side and get a 2-0 win against Newcastle. Bafatimi Gomez and Andrew Au both scored again. They scored against Chelsea. They've scored against New- New- uh, Newcastle United, I should say. And once again, Wes, Swansea looking very, very good this year. Swansea's fantastic when they're playing against 10 men, aren't they? Yeah. So it's a lot easier of a game. Oh, they're just fantastic. Um, Swansea coming in this season. Uh, you know, I think one big thing for Swansea is uh, they've carried over a lot of players from last year who were coming around by the end of the year. They've added well. They've got a good coach there. They have a good. They have a really good, clear idea and plan of what they want to do. And they're giving some of these younger players of theirs. They're giving them the chance to grow. Mm-hmm. And that's something that a lot of times the bigger clubs don't really have the luxury of doing. As we've seen with you know Mourinho and his absolute. It's almost like he's petrified of playing young players. Yeah. Uh, You know, Van Hall uh, has not exactly been the biggest proponent of young players. He's let a few come through because he's had to. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he would rather not play young players. Brendan Rodgers will do it. Um, Pellegrini, God, no, they surely don't do it at City. But, you know, you go somewhere like Swansea where you're not quite in that media spotlight. You don't have all the pressure of the world on you. When you don't have that, you can allow guys to make mistakes Mm -hmm. and then come back from those mistakes. And, um, well, you know, I mean, let's just use an example. Um, You know, Adnan Yanazai the other day for United. Yanazai gets a, a surprising start. For the Red Devils. All but forgotten. He had gone bench. out there. What was that? 
all but forgotten on that bench. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, against Aston Villa, but if he had gone out there and instead of scoring that goal, if he had given away three balls, one that turned into a score, if he had uh, skied that shot over top, if he had not looked good that day, we don't know when we would have seen him again. <laughs> That's true. You know, but but yet at Swansea, you know, you're a young player. If if you're one of their best players, they're going to give you opportunities because they don't have better options. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they're having some guys who are coming good this year. They've got good Premier League players. Uh, they do have the mercurially talented John Joe. Oh, Voldemort. I've kind of agree with the men and blazers. You know, if John Joe was Italian or if John Joe was Albanian, I think we would totally look at him in a completely different light and talk about how great he was. Yes. But he's, but he's English, so, you know, <laughs> so we must dump on him uh, for his perceived lack of uh, being able to do anything good just because he's English. Of course. But uh, Swansea are showing they, they've got to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. If they stay healthy, they're going to be a they're going to be a real fight for a lot of teams, especially teams up at the top. Yeah, so far not missing the firepower of Wilfred Vonnet, who had gone on to Man City uh, at in the middle of last season. Gomez and now AU doing very well in this place. And of course, they always have Yuffie Sigurdsson. Well, and you know what's funny about Vonnet is sometimes losing such a talented player. Sometimes that frees up everybody else mm-hmm. because you're no longer relying on one guy. They've been better since Bonet left. A little bit, yeah. I mean, you know, they were. I mean, they were much better in the second half of the season last year than the first half. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was after you know Bonet um, went to City, and I mean, he surely has not hit the ground running at City. So you know, hey, take the money, reinvest it. And that's what Swansea's done well. Absolutely. Over at Vicarage Road, it was Watford nil, West Brom nil. This is now back-to-back draws for debutants Watford. Uh, West Brom, I believe, maybe just happy to get a point on the road after a shellacking last week to Man City. Um, But I think, Wes, a good start to the season for Watford. Two points out of six, but I think, you know, you know, to, to get that draw at Everton was very good, even though they lost it late. Um, and and you might want to try to score a goal against West Brom at home, but but I don't think this is a terrible result for Watford as they start their Premier League campaign. As one of the newly promoted sides, your goal every year is to hit the ground and score as many points early as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. As, as they say, it's a race to 40. Yes. Because basically the, the magic number, folks, is if you get to 40 points in the Premier League, you're you're safe. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think – has any team ever gotten to 40 and not been safe? I don't think so. Okay, so that is kind of the magic number. You get to 40, you're good to go. Well, early in the season, you hate to give away opportunities to score points. You know, yes, Watford may have been able to try to push for something in this match, but then that may have left them open to a counter – and then you lose in the 86th minute 1-0. And then yeah. you're freaking heartbroken and you've lost a point. And you're a team who is scrapping for absolutely every single point you can get. Uh, I, I say well done to Watford. Mm, excuse me. Well done to Watford. Um, 
you know, so through two matches, Norwich has three, Wofford has two, Bournemouth sitting down there with Neil. Um, it's not too bad right now to be Watford. No, not at all. Doing doing very well uh, early on here and making, making a bit of a statement in the early goings. Elsewhere, uh, top of the table they go. It's West Ham 1, Leicester 2. Uh, who cares if we fire Nigel Pearson? He was holding us back from our birthright of the Foxes to go top of the table. Uh, Claudio Ranieri has his men going very strongly. And, of course, one of the big stories out of West Ham at Upton Park will be that they will be without their keeper, Adrian, for three matches after a very odd red card near the end of that one. Uh, Adrian had actually come up on a set piece uh, to try and score an equalizer late. And uh, after the set piece was taken, the ball was sort of cleared by Leicester just outside their penalty area. Uh, and as it was coming down, Adrian went to try and kick it, and instead of kicking the ball, kicked straight into the chest of a Leicester man. So he was shown red for that, and he will be banned for the next three matches. Uh, so interesting there for you know West Ham, uh, trying to be without their goalkeeper for the next three matches now. After a good start against Arsenal, they drop a few points here. But West, good start to the season for Leicester. No doubt. And, um, I hate. I hated that for Adrian. Um, I don't think that should be a three match red. I think that should be a one match red. Like there was. There didn't gonna... seem there. There didn't seem like there was any intent. That's. I do feel like that was a little bit reckless. As high as his leg came up. Like I understood what he was trying to do, but that's still. I don't have any problem with that being a red. What I have a problem with is that being a three match red. Well, see, I don't even like it being a red. Just for the words you said, there was no intent. I mean, there was no intent. It was totally unmalicious. There was no, you know, he was not, obviously he was not trying to kick the guy. Yeah, yeah I think you show him yellow. You strongly warn him, but I don't see the reason for a red there. And like you said, then if you do show red, you know, you give him one match because you feel there was no intent. Um, not that that changed the match at all. Because it was right at the very end anyway. But uh, a tough, tough break for West Ham. For Leicester? Wow. Claudio Ranieri? No, I'm not giving that to Claudio Ranieri yeah. at all. This guy's walked into a good situation. He walked into a team that, God, at this point, what have they got? Uh, they've got like the most points in the last 10 Premier League matches. Is that it? That, I, that sounds about right. The way they came on so strong at the end of the last season, I wouldn't doubt that. They've got something like uh, 28 points in the last 10 matches, which I believe is the best. I can't remember who said it or what. That, has, that would have to be the best because that's 20 out of 30. Yeah. So, I mean, they've been – yeah, I mean, it's like 28 out of 30. I mean, it's, it's craziness. Um, so, they've just – they've been playing so well. Ranieri has walked into a fantastic situation, which if you ever said uh, if you ever said Lester, fantastic situation. I don't really know how many people would uh, say what the hell are you talking about. Um, I was thinking, didn't Lester just sign somebody? Um, yes, I I, 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 it I happened uh, earlier today. I can look it up real quick for you. I believe it was a defensive player. 
on the baseline. Well, he was supposed to be like a really good defensive player. Yes. I even remember Ian Dark posting it on Twitter. So uh, you keep talking. I will look it up rather quickly here. Um, but, you know, right now, Leicester, they're just so assured of what they're doing. They have such a good game plan. And in truth, they have not exactly been playing the big boys of the Premier League in their first two matches. I mean, Sunderland, who look like they're going to be everybody's little brother this year. West Ham, who are completely West Ham. Only West Ham beats Arsenal one week and then comes back yeah. and, you know, loses to Leicester the next week. Yeah. That is the most West Ham of all West Ham things. Um, but Leicester, I mean, you know, just like we said now, because both of us, I think, had Leicester in our bottom three going down. You, know, you start the season, it's a race to 40. Well, good God, Leicester's already got six. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Leicester's, Leicester has started as literally as well as you can start. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see if they keep it going. Maybe we just underestimated the mental toughness of this team, thinking that once their manager was gone, they would just fall apart, and instead it's almost galvanized them. Absolutely. The man we were thinking of was Napoli midfielder Gokhan Inler, who is coming over on a three-year right. deal. Inler um, is the uh, captain of uh, Switzerland. Yes. He's coming over. Uh, talks of needing a fresh start. I think he got a little bit stale over at Napoli, so now it looks like he might get re-energized here for the Foxes. Uh, I, will, he ca- I will tell you one thing about Inler, Edward. Um, he was the, the captain of... Uh, Wes Bradshaw's uh, European Cup winning Switzerland. Oh, beautiful. That's right. So he he has cup experience. Uh, he did win he, uh, last season uh, in his 19 Serie A appearances. He won 26 tackles and 27 aerial uh, battles. So good player they're getting. Well, and he's more of a uh, like defensive midfielder. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, God, totally. I mean, that's a, that's a legit player. You know, last year... That's what they did last year when they got Cambioso. Mm-hmm. You know, Esteban Cambioso came over, and a lot of people were like, oh, God, you know, he's finally coming to the Premier League. You know, this is a guy who, when he was in his prime, you know, could have walked into just about any side in the world. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't that, he's not that far past his prime. Inlayer is kind of the same. He's never, he's never been on the level that Cambioso was on. But another one of those guys is like, oh, God, he ended up at Leicester. But, of course, that just shows as well the financial muscle that the Premier League has. Absolutely. Even if you're a team like Leicester who just came up last season, uh, you you have that kind of muscle behind you now with all that TV money as well as other Premier League revenue. Uh, As we head over to uh, Selhurst Park, sad times over there for Rebecca Lowe and Crystal Palace, where it was Palace 1, Arsenal 2, Damian Delaney's own goal, Gives the win to Arsenal. Olivier Giroud had the other goal for the Gunners. Uh, Arsenal gets their first win of the season. Rights the ship a little bit. Of course, Alan Pardew also had some complaints on the match. Uh, feeling that uh, Francois Coquelin should have been gone a couple of times during the match. But was not sent off. Even told so much. Um... By, by one of the officials that he should have probably been sent off. So, rough break for Crystal Palace, but uh, Gunner Blog 27 can chill out for one week, Wes. <sighs> title, title race, back in favor of the Gunners now, right? 
Oh, of course. Uh, very, very fortunate win for Arsenal. Um, Crystal Palace, a team that I, I picked to challenge for a European spot this year. I just think that team's ready to take the next step. They love where they are under Pardue. Um, Pardue has experience getting sort of those mid-table teams into Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, uh, Palace could definitely, definitely do it. As, as a Liverpool fan, we're terrified of Crystal Palace. Um, unfortunate loss for them. They des- I, f- I felt they deserved a draw. Yeah. That said, they had some chances later on that they should have converted. If they deserved the- truly deserved the draw, they should have converted a few of those chances. Um, but truly, I mean, good on Arsenal. They Arsenal were desperate for a win. They needed it very badly, and they got it. So good on Arsenal. All right, so now we're going to go into our last three matches to talk about for the week, uh, two of them being our team's matches and one being what I think is the most talked about match of the weekend. Uh, Wesso, let's start with you guys. On Monday, it was Liverpool 1, AFC Bournemouth nil. The Reds take it at Anfield as Christian Benteke shrugs away those Mario Balotelli signs and comparisons, although Balotelli was looking awful blingy up in the stands of Liverpool during the match. But he opens his account with a tap on goal uh, midway through the first half on a goal that maybe should have been ruled offsides. Uh, Bournemouth looked very, very quality during the match, had a lot of chances, just could not convert. Uh, West, but these were two. We said it last week, um, and I we almost got to smash cut to a nil-nil draw. But still, <laughs> even if even if it had, even if uh, Benteke's goal had been disallowed, this was still a very fun up and down affair from both sides. Um, it was it was very much back and forth. Neither team, neither team could be too committed for their finishing in this match. No. Uh, Liverpool were very fortunate to come out as the victors in it. As, as everyone has said, I can't even argue it. The goal should have been discounted. Hey, the uh, thing with that goal is I, I, I'm surprised they allowed it given how much everybody has talked about that rule change. You feel like, you feel like an, a side official would actually be, have like an itchy trigger finger on that kind of call. Like they'd be, oh God, they talked about it so much in training this summer. Oh God, I've got to call it. Oh, it looks even close. That's offside. Like that's that's why I was surprised that that was not called on Coutinho. Well, that's, I almost wonder if maybe they froze on it because you don't, I, I don't know if it's been called yet. It certainly has not disallowed a goal yet that we know of. No, I haven't seen it. Um, I just, I think, I don't think that, well, I feel these officials, they don't want the first time for it to happen that they get it wrong. Yeah. I think right now that's there. I mean, back to the officiating the Premier League, it's been so bad and so publicized. Mm-hmm. I think right now you've got officials who are almost paralyzed to make calls mm-hmm. for being wrong about them. And in the process, they're missing calls, <laughs> which which makes them look just as incompetent either way. Um, soccer, European football, is kind of suffering from the. I mean, it's it's pretty much like all the sports now. 
what's the deal in every sport from now to 20 years ago? Bigger, faster, stronger. Mm-hmm. You know who's not bigger, faster, stronger? The officials. The refs. <laughs> the officials. <laughs> They're still the same guys. You know, but when, you know, when suddenly a guy who, you know, 20 years ago, we'll just, we'll just say Ronaldo, the original fat Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ronaldo may have been like this absolute speed demon that like no one had ever seen. Now, I'm not saying that was Ronaldo's guy. I'm just using it as an example. Ronaldo may have been this great speed demon. And for as fast as he was then, out of 22 guys on the pitch now, 10 of them are just as fast, if not faster, than he was. Mm-hmm. And now, but the while the athletes have changed and you can change the rules, the officials have not changed. Right. Um, it, it just It's just getting more and more difficult on them. And then also technology has changed so much. So now we can pick apart every single thing. Right. The first time, and I'll tell you, the first time I really, really remember officials being picked out for everything they were doing wrong was Major League Baseball umpire Eric Gregg. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a Sunday night baseball game, and the Braves were playing, and he was giving Greg Maddox six inches outside. Yes. Greg Maddox was getting everything, six inches inside and outside. And I believe it was right after they had started using maybe that K zone or, you know, however ESPN had it set up. Mm-hmm. But all they kept doing is replaying and replaying and replaying these pitches out of the strike zone that were being called strikes. And all they kept saying was Eric Gregg, Eric Gregg, <laughs> Eric Gregg. And the next thing you know, Eric Gregg's like a celebrity uh, umpire at this point because everybody's heard his name a thousand times and everybody is just hammering this guy's strike zone. Well, that said, Eric Gregg did have a big ass strike zone. Yes. <laughs> but, but you know, um, the thing is, in the 1960s, you know, all you had, all you had, were some guys in the stands go, uh, "You're blind, ump. You're blind." You know, you had the player arguing, but there was no imperial empirical evidence mm-hmm. right there in your face that this guy's making bad calls. Nowadays, God, there's a hundred camera angles. Everything's in high definition. <laughs> you know, you can tell if a piece of grass is is out of place. You know, you can spot offsides thirty different angles within two seconds of it happening. But yet, that official is still using his eyeballs plus his decision making, and and that's all he's got. You know, we have the benefit at home of everything that they don't have right there on the field in the moment. So. I mean, I'll get on an official as fast as anyone, but at the same time, I've got to give these officials a little bit the benefit of the doubt. I don't think they're they're not purposely fucking shit up. Mm-hmm. They're not like Prestige Worldwide who came to fuck shit up. <laughs> yes. They're not doing it on purpose. It's just it's a byproduct of the of the day and age that everyone every everyone up to you know your grandma at the nursing home can see that you're fucking it up. Yeah. And, you know, you feel bad for, you know, Bournemouth when when there was a close call on Tommy Elfeck's goal. You know, we mentioned it. That was disallowed early on in the contest uh, when it was judged that he pushed Nathaniel Klein to get to it. And I, I think overall that was the right call. I think it's a 
somewhat disputable call, but I think I think that one was right. Uh, they are I don't think anybody would disagree at this point that they missed the offsides for Benteke's goal. Um, but it, it was it was a good match though. I, I feel like if you're Bournemouth, this is one where if you, if you go down at the end of the season, you this is might be one of those matches you look back on and be like, well, we could have at least gotten a point from there, and that was that was a missed opportunity for us. Um, but real quick before we move on, Wes, after two one nil wins, with not looking at all times that impressive, but still that's six points out of six. How do you feel about Liverpool right now? I mean, I feel good. You know, the the biggest thing that you and I talked about before the season was that Liverpool, with the way this schedule starts, yes, Liverpool have got to get their points at home and then hope to steal points on the road. Mm-hmm. Well, through two matches, I mean, they've stole three. They got three from Stoke. Those are stolen points. And they held serve at home. So... As far as the start for Liverpool, I, ha- I I can't complain literally at all. I mean, it, it's a it's a perfect start. You you've got six points through two games. It literally can't get better. Um, for Liverpool, it's still you know uh, Firmino still didn't play much in this one. It looks like you know they're trying to get him up to speed. You know he's coming off that summer of playing down at the uh, at the Copa. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they're getting his fitness straight. Uh, Jordan Henderson hobbled off in this match, had to come off with an injury. That's but true. Uh, scans, it looks like uh, no no damage really to his foot. And it looks like it's going to be a player decision whether he plays on Monday against Arsenal. So, you know, Henderson looks like he's going to be okay. Um, you know, Daniel Sturridge released a video this week. Uh, he is He has finished his rehab in Boston. Um, and he is he is heading back to Merseyside to rejoin the team and uh, slowly start to reintegrate himself into the into the first team practicing. And they uh, they have they have set a date for his return. My birthday. Date, that's right, September twelfth against Man United. Yeah. So you know if if we can get fifteen minutes out of Sturridge against United, um. You know, give him about three weeks, and by God, we could be back at the diamond with uh, Sturridge and Benteke sitting up top, and there are going to be some damn terrorized teams in the Premier League. Ah, oh, fun times in the Premier League. Uh, to now a team that's not having a fun time, Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, it was Tottenham 2, Stoke 2 at the opener at White Hart Lane. Uh, Tottenham jumps out to an early 2-0 lead in the first half on a header by Eric Dyer. And a tap in by Nasser Chadley on a great cross by Ben Davies. Uh, but Stoke comes back late into the second half as Marco Arnotovic converted a penalty. And then Mamadé Diouf uh, put in a header with seven minutes to go in the match. Um, Whitehart Lane not happy about it. Uh, a lot of that maybe being placed on the substitutes, including Eric Lamella and Namil Bentaleb, who came on for. Uh, I want to say Harry Kane and Ryan Mason, respectively. I this is one of those weird matches where if you know we talked about Portugal USA in the 2014 World Cup, where if you tell me before the match you get a two-two draw, you probably take it, and then when you see how you get to the two-two draw, you're like, oh god, what have I done? Um, th- this is sort of similar to that. Y- you hope you can put away a match at home. Um, 
it's it's looking now like Potch might have taken off Kane for health reasons, uh, just just to keep him a little fresher. There there was a little maybe tug on his uh, hamstring a little bit, so they want to just go ahead and be very safe with him and take him out right away. The unfortunate thing is you have to have guys who can come in and kill off a game, and that didn't happen. Now I will say that the foul by Alderweil that gave Stoke the penalty was incredibly soft. And uh, if it obviously if it takes place, you know, five feet outside the penalty area, it might not even be called. But it was that changed the entire complexion of the match from there on. Stoke looked like likely winners from that point on, in fact, and it just wasn't Tottenham's last 15 minutes. But other than that, I thought they played very, very, very well up to that point, and really, if they had kept Kane on, I I think they could have shut it down. I'm just going to pause right there and see if you would like to add anything. I'm sorry, I was. I had started adding, and then I realized I had my microphone on mute. Yay! Uh, <laughs> as you as you said, Pochettino, it looked like he had to take Harry Kane off for for health reasons, and that is uh, unless Tottenham do something before Clinton Injai. The window closes. Yeah, I mean, Injai's a guy who. You know, I think I think he's a little more for the future. <laughs> yes. Um, Pochettino just he does not have many options past Harry Kane, mm-hmm. especially anything near the quality of Harry Kane. So, you know, when Harry picks up a bump, and you think it could be something that could develop serious, because you know, especially a hamstring, a hamstring can start as just a strain. And then you keep playing on it, and it makes it worse. Um, that that's really, really going to be an issue for Tottenham going forward. I mean, because you've got Europa, you've got the Premier League, you've got the two cup competitions around here for whatever they're worth to you, and you've basically you've got you've got this one great talisman, and then after that, just from day to day, you don't know what you have. I think he's got to feel that he's got to be um, he's got to be careful with Harry Kane. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just I hope this isn't maybe a forbearer of things to come for Spurs. But you know it's just it's going to have to be it's just going to have to be wait and see. We're just going to see what happens with Tottenham going forward. Um, hopefully, maybe one of these young strikers, other guys, will be able to emerge to help Harry Kane. But at this point, I still think Pochettino trusts trusts his other forward options. Yeah, it's it's going to be tough moving forward, like you said. I, I don't see us really bringing in anybody now. And in fact, we're probably retaining Emmanuel Adebayor. So yay. Uh, you know, we had there had been talks with uh, Yannick Balaze. Uh, he maybe maybe bringing him over from Palace, but he might be a little too expensive. And that's another thing. Right now, you know, we're we're playing for that new stadium in 2018 at this point. If you're a Spurs fan, and you, we just kind of unfortunately have to accept that. Now, once we get there, we might have a really, really 
really, 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 really good team. Um, but it's it's going to be a couple years more, I think, in the wilderness of Europa. But that's not. It's still a. It's a very disappointing result. But I, I think, I think this still has a chance to be a good team because again, for seventy minutes, this this was the better side and looked like a very very talented Premier League side. I can get with that. Um, like I said, just if if you if they're going to push for much this year. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Harry Kane's going to have to be the guy leading the charge. Mm-hmm. And for being such a young guy, you, you don't want to overuse Harry Kane, especially mm-hmm. on all fronts. You don't want to overuse Kane on all fronts. Right. So we'll see. We'll see if maybe Njai gets more cup starts, be it Europa or Capital One or League Cup starts, and, and we'll just see how it goes from here. And we'll see. I hope that, uh, which actually was a calf injury, I'm sorry, not a hamstring issue is not what keeps Harry Kane out for very long. All right, your match of the week at a record crowd at a rocket Etihad. It was Manchester City 3, Chelsea nil. Lady Physio not in attendance for Jose Mourinho, but she must have been laughing at home watching this one. Manchester City comes away with all three points on three goals. Now, of course, if you listen to Josie, he will say this was a very fake win. But the scoring was opened by Sergio Aguero in the first half, and then it just opened up from there. City got two more goals in the second half. Wes, you know, I I feel very foolish now for picking City to finish sixth. I know it's early, but man, they look... (laughs) They look really damn good. They do. You know, they're the team that right now, I think if everybody could go back and repick their Premier League, that would be the change, would be City. Um, Company has two goals. Company must have gone and seen Kobe's doctor in the offseason. Yeah. You know, that... I mean, it's bizarre because literally three weeks ago in America, Company was slow and old and stunk. Well, they they lost yeah. to Stuttgart four net or four two and gave up four goals yeah. in the first half. I mean, the only thing I can think is that uh, you know they they knew when the drug testing was coming, and as soon as it was <laughs> over, they hit a double dose on. Uh, we love company. Um, in this match, I can not that I agree with Josie Mourinho because Josie's the most overly dramatic diva in the Premier League this year. Of course. Um, but, you know, at 1-0, here's the deal. Man City came out like a house of fire, and they had a very deserved 1-0 lead in that match from mm-hmm. Aguero. Mm-hmm. But then after that, Chelsea missed a couple of point-blank opportunities to uh, to equalize that match. Um, the biggest one being uh, Azard. Um if he had just taken one touch and took a shot, that match would have been leveled up instead of Zard tries to take an extra touch and never really gets his shot off. Um, if Chelsea had even the match, obviously that would have changed everything. Um, but then, you know, City puts two late goals in to kind of make it a really flattering 3-0 scoreline. Mm-hmm. That said, at the end of the day, City deserved that win. Chelsea did not deserve a point from that match. Nope. Uh, so at the end of the day, uh, Josie can call it whatever he wants. 
But he's got one point through two matches. And, of course, one of the biggest things of this match was John Terry being substituted off by Jose Mourinho for the first time in his career comes off at halftime, no less, for Kurt Zuma. And, and you know, that you know Arlo was talking about it on Monday uh, during halftime of the Liverpool-Bournemouth match. You know, he, he said, you know, how, how shocked everybody was in the booth when, you know, you saw Zuma coming on. It was like, okay, well, you know, Cahill got his nose bloodied. Maybe he comes on for him or maybe he comes on for a midfielder to give them some speed. And all of a sudden he's coming on for Cahill. And you're like, what? what? Terry. I'm sorry. Yeah, for Terry. Sorry. And you, you just, you, it, it was shocking. And and I, I wonder, I, I just wonder, you, you kind of mentioned it last week. And, and I, I've heard other people talk about it too, but once Mourinho gets into year three of with the place, if he does it at all, that's when he starts really playing mind games and screwing up stuff. And I wonder <laughs> if we're not starting to see that a little bit here. He's he's doing it to himself. That's, that, you know, Jose Mourinho's worst enemy is always Josie Mourinho. Oh yeah, because he will he will do that. He will he will get into his own head after a while. You know, he's so hell-bent on playing the mind games. You know, it, it's almost... When Mourinho comes in, it's almost like a siege mentality mm-hmm. where, you know, for a while, you you really buckle down and you buy into everything and you kill yourself for the guy and you can, you know, you, you work as absolutely hard as you can. But, you know, after, after a while in the siege, you start to wear down. Mm-hmm. That's what happens in a siege. You know, you give everything you've got to defend or to attack whatever you're doing. And then after a while, it just, you're just worn slam out and you've got nothing left to give. And for Josie, it seems to go about two years where you will do anything in the world for Josie. And then usually by year three, things are starting to change. But then one of Josie's big problems is that Josie does not like to. Josie does not like change. He doesn't. He really doesn't. You know, he may he may bring in a player here or there that he likes to do some things. Now, he'll get rid of some guys in a heartbeat. <laughs> but Josie really has this, this thing about, you know, he'll get rid of guys and then won't replace them. Mm-hmm. And, yes, I mean, they have immense quality in that team. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, even the greats can only go at su- at such a certain level for so long before they're burned out. Right. And I, I think Josie almost does it to himself. I think Josie buys into his own. He buys in just to his own message so much that you know, literally going into year three, it's like it's like he's lost his edge. Mm-hmm. But when Josie loses his edge, he just goes completely overboard. Yes. He crazy. just goes like berserk when he loses his edge. So, um, you know, this whole thing with uh, Eva Carrero, um, it's to me, it's just uh, it's it's showing cracks in the kingdom. Smoke screens. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and I understand what Josie's doing. Josie is Josie will do anything to deflect negativity on his players. Mm hmm. Unless it's a player that he decides he wants to be negative about, yes. well, you know everybody's like, why did he make such a big deal about um, about Lady Physio? He did that for the simple reason because they blew a lead, mm-hmm. and if he didn't do that, the story all week was going to be, well, what's wrong with Chelsea? You know, why can't they hold a lead? 
So it's almost it's almost a semi-brilliant tactic by Mourinho. But, you know, at the same time, he has to, well, I mean, I don't even know if it's anything he can do. It's just he he gets into his own head so much. Yeah. So. It is crazy, and we will see how this narrative plays out because uh, it, I, I don't know how much better it's going to get. We'll talk a little bit. We're going to quickly go through some news and notes after the Spanish Super Cup, but do want to remind you guys there's another weekend of Premier League action coming your way. Starts at 7.45 on Saturday. You have Manchester United versus Newcastle United. Then at 10 a.m., you have Palace versus Villa. Leicester versus Tottenham. Not looking forward to that. Norwich versus Stoke. <laughs> Sunderland versus Swansea. And West Ham versus the Cherries of Bournemouth. On Sunday at 8.30, you have West Brom at or versus Chelsea. Maybe Chelsea can pick up three points there. Everton versus City, which has suddenly become a huge match. And Watford versus Southampton at 11. And back to Monday Night Football for Liverpool. It'll They'll be traveling to... Um, Arsenal. To, yep, they'll be traveling. Not, not really London. It's, it's not really London. They're not. Really London. They're not really in London. Uh, but it will be Arsenal Liverpool for Monday night football. Your table looks like this through two weeks. Uh, Manchester City atop with six points. Leicester, Liverpool, and United also all have six. Uh, that is their order through goal differential and alphabetical order. Helps to have L before M. Yes. Everton are in fifth with four points and a better goal differential than Swansea. The bottom of your heart in the relegation zone. Chelsea and Southampton both have one point and a minus three goal differential. So that's where they are. Um, <laughs> in 18th, it's West Brom with one point. Uh, AFC Bournemouth and Sunderland both have nil points. So that's a look at your Premier League. Wes, we have to quickly talk about it's the 2015 Spanish Super Cup. Just days after winning the UEFA Super Cup, Barcelona loses a two-leg tie to Bilbao 5-1 to one on aggregate. And Wes, I believe it was you who said last week, you know, if you're going to beat Barcelona, you got to do it in one match because you're not going to beat them over two legs. Well, when you can beat them 4-0 in one match... Makes well, the second yeah. leg a lot easier. Well, I mean, and, and that's exactly what happened. Is yeah. you know, I mean, if it had been nil nil going into the second match, I don't think there's any way Bill Bow wins. But they they burned them in that first match so bad. Oh yeah. I mean, four nil for anyone is next to impossible to come back on. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I was somewhat vindicated on that. Yes. Of course, I did say, well, I mean, everybody's got a chance. Yes, that is true. You did say that. So, Neil say I called this. Uh, I am that damn good. There you go. Lionel Messi was the goal scorer for Barcelona, who scored just before the break to give uh, Barcelona some chance at coming back, but that was not to be. And uh, Gerard Pique received a straight red in the second period, and because of that, he will be missing the first La Liga game of the season. Good for you, Gerard PK. Good he job. He makes four matches. They say he got a four-match ban. Um, well, it says here he's going to miss the first La Liga game of the season, so I guess he might be missing a couple more as well. Uh, yeah. that's, that's not good. Um, so for Barcelona, they, they lose a chance at getting a second early trophy on the season. Again, picked up the UEFA Super Cup. Do not, though, win the Spanish Super Cup. And Bilbao gets a little bit of revenge after losing to them in the Copa del Rey final just a few months we, ago. 
I believe for Bill Bell, that was their first first well, trophy they've won since years? like 1982 or something. Yeah, it was, it was it was 30 to 40 years. I I almost want to say it was the 70s, but you might be um, right. But it was really cool because they had you know Barcelona. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow, cool. We won the Super Cup. Man, I mean, they had like half a million people show up for yes, this celebration for Bill Bow, you know, because, I mean, for a team like that, this is what you're going to win. It's true. I mean, you're, you're not winning La Liga. You're not, probably not even getting into the Champions League. Right. You know, this is this is as big as it gets. And you beat Barcelona, who are easily, widely considered the best team in the world to do it. Mm-hmm. That's big time as hell. So congratulations to those people. And, you know, hey, great, great for those fans to get to experience something like that because you know, I think we kind of take it for granted sometimes where, you know, we pull for, seems like, bigger Premier League teams. Oh, yeah. um, and and then, of course, you know, the teams that you and I happen to pull for here in the U.S. and our sports, you know, we're Red Sox fans who have gone through the greatest yeah. <laughs> run in Red Sox history, yes. the greatest decade in the history of Red Sox baseball. Um you know, your Virginia Cavaliers just won the college baseball world series, Yay. you know, uh, my Miami hurricanes have, uh, five national championships on the gridiron. You know, we kind of take it for granted a little bit where, you know, someone like that, you're a small club. Here's the problem with build out. They're a small club mm-hmm. that are just big enough to never go down. Yes. So it's like, you don't even get to enjoy like, Oh, we won, uh, we won, um, you know, the second division or something to get back up. It's like, well, we're never bad enough to get relegated. <laughs> so we don't even get the joy of, you know, winning the league uh, in the in the second division. So. Yeah, it's it's yeah. crazy for them. But good good win on you, Bao Bao. And uh, we'll see if that carries over any into La Liga. Um, and, of course, Jared Piquet's suspension will play a huge factor for Barcelona going forward. Um, other news and notes, we're going to quickly run through these. Um, Everton had an interesting week. Uh, after winning uh, one, they lose Leighton Baines, unfortunately. He will have to have surgery to repair his ankle, which will see him miss uh, 12 to 14 weeks. Uh, Everton had injury problems last year. And they're going to have it again this year. It looks like Baines out 12 to 14 weeks. Darren Gibson was charged with an alleged hit and run. So the midfielder is uh, going to be uh, going to trial, it looks like, for an event uh, that occurred on August 16th in Cheshire. Um, police recalled reports that a car had collided with a cyclist on Park Road in Trafford and failed to stop before pulling into a petrol station. That's gasoline for you Americans. On nearby Dunham Road and colliding with a pump, a Greater Manchester police spokesman said per BBC News. He hadn't uh, seen the Premier League since March 22nd, and it doesn't look like he's going to be seeing it any time soon. But, Wes, somebody that looks to still be on the side for Everton is John Stones. After a third bid by Chelsea was turned down of £30 million, and now it looks like they are going to try for £40 million. One last time, Wes, will £40 million win them John Stones? John Stones, who, you know, good young English defender. We... I, don't know if we're exa- I don't know exactly what we're getting to here, but uh, anyway. No, um, it looks like... What's kind of complicating this is that there is a sell-on fee that has to go to Barnsley Mm -hmm. um, in the event that John Stones 
um, is trading. It's 15% to Barnsley. Now, this is somewhat reminiscent of uh, you know QPR getting 10% of the Raheem Sterling sale mm-hmm. from Liverpool to Manchester City this summer. And that was one reason why Liverpool kept holding out and holding out for a higher fee because they knew they were going to have to give a chunk of it to QPR. Right. Chelsea may kind of be the same way here where, you know, it's like, look, you know, we understand that you're, you're offering us 30 million and that's, that's good. We understand that. But when I've got to turn around and hand a chunk of that to Barnsley, you know, I want 30 million in my pocket. And if that means that you need to give me a little more, then, you know, I, I believe that's probably more what it is, is Everton saying, you know, we want 30 million. Okay, well, we'll give you 30 million. No, 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 no. We want yeah. 30 million. <laughs> so you need to pay, you know, 36 million or 37 yeah. million. <laughs> and Chelsea's like, well, wait a minute, we're paying you 30 million, but we're not getting the whole 30 million. <laughs> right. Well, and some- yes, Chelsea thoroughly understands this. Yeah. But then Chelsea are saying, well, I mean, we only want to pay 30 million for the player. It's not our problem that you're not getting the whole 30 million. Well, we have them and you don't. And that's what's going on right now for them. But Chelsea looks like they're going to be uh, spending about 30 million euros on someone else. That person is Pedro. Manchester United were in on him, but Pedro may be going to the blue side of Chelsea. And that. You know, United pulls out. It's another not get for United after bringing over Schweinsteiger and Schneiderlin. Uh, they wanted Pedro. They're not going to get him. Uh, Jose Mourinho didn't really want Pedro either, but it looks like he's going to have him. So for a guy who is having trouble getting minutes for Barcelona, he might have trouble getting minutes in the Premier League if Jose wants to send a message. You know, we've seen this at Chelsea before. Um, there are times where Roman Abramovich will just decide himself, I want this player here. You mean like Arsene um, Wenger in reverse? I mean, not Arsene Wenger, Peter Chech. That's what I meant. Exactly. Um, but, you know, you look back through the history here. Andrei Shevchenko was a player that back in the early, mid-2000s, Jose Mourinho didn't want Andrei Shevchenko, even <laughs> though at the time Shevchenko was considered one of the best strikers in the world. He didn't want him because he didn't fit his style. You know, Shevchenko, of course, played in Italy where, as a striker, that's your job. You're a striker. You don't have to do anything else. Where, of course, we know uh, Mourinho expects you to defend. Yes. A lot of guys don't like that. Um, So, you know, and then the most notorious of them all was uh, Torres. Yeah who, um, God, I cannot remember who the manager at the time was, you know, because Chelsea, they go through so damn many of them. But that that was a player that uh, that was just totally a Roman Abramovich move. Chelsea didn't really need Torres. The manager didn't exactly want Torres. But damn, the owner wanted Torres, so they spent a shitload of money to get Torres. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing here is um, – he has become enthralled with Pedro. They've seen the first the first few matches of the season mm-hmm. where they have had trouble out on the wings. And I think Abramovich I think I think with this Abramovich really means well. Yes. 
But at the same time, you know, when when Josie Mourinho was your manager, and you know how stubborn and hard-headed he is, is it really worth it to go have this fight with Mourinho? Probably not. Um, but that said, Abramovich owns the team, so, you know, Josie can have the fight all he wants. Josie's going to be the one looking at a job sometimes. So. It's three years in. We'll see what happens to Mourinho. The last three deals we're going to talk about real quick. Uh, Adama, Captain Adama Traore, is going from Barcelona to Villa on a five-year deal for about 10 million euros with 2 million in add-ons. Uh, Gideon Zellalem looks like he's going to be going from Arsenal over to Rangers. Uh there may be a championship side in the Premier League that gets him, but it looks like he might be going over to Rangers over in Scotland for at least a six-month loan. And Mateo Kovacic uh, is going from Inter Milan to Real Madrid. The rich get richer as they sign Kovacic to a six-year deal. The 21-year-old will be coming on to an already very strong Real Madrid side. Maybe that is what could be a, a slide-off. We bring him in, pay him money, we get rid of Kareem Benzema. We'll see how that goes on later. So that's going to be our soccer talk for this week. And as we head into some other sports, we want to remind you that this podcast is being presented by NGSC Sports and NGSCSports.com. We never stop. Well, Wes, you mentioned we're, uh, we're Red Sox fans. We've experienced this great decade of baseball for the team from Boston. Uh, hasn't been that great the last couple years. And so they decided to make a bit of a splash move right here in the season. Not by trading a player. But by bringing in Dave Dombrowski. The former Detroit Tigers general manager. Who was just let go right around the trade deadline. He's come in to be president of baseball operations. Uh, ben Sherrington who was the general manager was uh, given the opportunity to stay on in that role, but he will be leaving uh, at the end of this year as he uh, helps Dombrowski with the transition. Of course, Jerry Depoto, the former Angels general manager, is on right now as a consultant to the Red Sox, and there's even talk about bringing in Frank Wren as an actual general manager. So, Wes, a flurry of moves, and maybe, maybe one of the best signings potentially the Red Sox could have made uh, as long as with this caveat he's willing to listen to statistical analysis uh, that's true Dabrowski is an old school baseball guy he believes in scouting and player development um, which isn't exactly what the Red Sox have been doing for a good decade now <clears throat> um but I am I'm very optimistic with this move for the Red Sox. Ben Harrington. I mean, what's the final what's the final verdict on Ben Charrington? Four years. If this season finishes the way it's going, we're gonna finish last in the East. He finishes last three out of four years, but then the one year he doesn't, he wins the World Series. Yeah. I think I think the final verdict on Charrington is a guy whose trades, except for the one of uh, Carl Crawford, Adrian Gonzalez, and Josh Beckett to the Dodgers to free up cap space, except for that move, none of his major league moves really worked out all that well. But he did a fantastic job at making sure that farm system was absolutely loaded. Well, 
here's the problem now. You know, so much is made of the trade. Mm-hmm. And the trade was obviously monstrous, you know, where we get rid of all the bad contracts. We find somebody to take all of our bad contracts. Yeah. We get them all out and we get good players back. We, you know, we re, we stop the farm system. All these great things happen. Didn't we kind of turn around and do the same thing again though? Yeah, sort of. I mean, maybe not as it, not as much money and not as many guys this time. But right now, we're stuck with Hanley Ramirez, who's been terrible. We're stuck with Sandoval, who's been terrible. We're stuck with Porcello, who has the highest ERA in the American League. <laughs> and we're paying all of them, like, just gobs of money. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I mean, can we find – can we trade all these guys back to the Dodgers? <laughs> Somebody get the Dodgers on the phone, damn it. But, um, <laughs> you know, Charrington – on the way out the door, you've got to say, you've got to give him a high five because he won a world series. Yep. And there are not many GMs floating around out there who can say I won a world series. So power to that. That's great. That's awesome. It was worth it. Um, Dombrowski's going to come in. Dombrowski has been known to turn around franchises. Turned around Detroit. Turn around Montreal. I mean, made Montreal. Yeah. God, if the strike hadn't come, the Expos. The 94 Expos, the great, the, maybe the greatest what if of all time in baseball history. What if the strike didn't come with the Expos have won the World Series? Because they were far and away the best regular season team in baseball that year. Um, you know, turn the Marlins into two time world champions, turn Detroit into a perennial American League power. So Dombrowski, he's done very well everywhere he's gone. Mm-hmm. He comes to Boston. I mean, there's talent. That's the thing. Boston's jet with talent. You're talking about the farm system being loaded, which it is. Keith Law calls it the best farm system in baseball. It may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, take out the farm. Just look at the guys you've got on the major league roster. You know, Xander Bogarts. Uh, Mookie you know, Betts. Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, Blake Swihart. Uh, Mookie Betts, you know, um, Rusny Castillo, who shockingly, Rusny Castillo, not that young, actually 28. Yeah. But still, you know, I mean, you've got a bunch of young studs on the major league roster right now, and then you've got more of them just sitting back there in the minors waiting to get up. So they're flush there, they're flush with prospects. And by the way, it's Boston that they've got money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Dombrowski, I mean, I'm going to tell you, you could not ask for a much better situation to walk into for a last place team by any means. I mean, it's, it's not like you're going to, you know, Lord bless them before they got good. It's not like you're going to Kansas City with no money. Right. <laughs> you know, or you're going to, uh, you know, well, Milwaukee or something here. I mean, you're going to Boston. Yep. You know, the Yankees are vulnerable. Um, so he can, he can walk in and do a good job. I've got to, you know, I mean, I'm going to support Mr. Henry and Mr. Werner. They've never given me many reason not to support them. Mm -hmm. So I'll support the, uh, I'll support the move and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what Dombrowski can do, uh, with this group. Uh, we need pitching. Oh boy. Desperately need pitching. Um, we've got a glut of, Really good minor league players. 
you know, the thing about minor league players, here's the thing. You can have all the and this was a this was a cowherd. I know you're not a cowherd guy. Mm-hmm. Cowherd used to always say, you know, you can have all the hot minor league prospects you want. I want a superstar. And I will trade you two of these hot minor league prospects for a superstar. Because out of the hot minor league prospects, if you've got five, one of them's gonna be a really good major league player. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. They're prospects you're prospecting that they're going to be good so boston who is so stacked down there in the farm right now i can see dombrowski making some moves moving some of those guys now there's a few untouchables moncada is untouchable oh yeah you know you're, you're not moving yo and moncada they've got they've got about three or four guys i think down there that they will not move maybe two maybe just two that they will not move and everybody else is going to be fair game you know, and as long as Boston can continue to draft good, which is going to be interesting now because they're are will they be changing philosophies? But um, I mean, as long as they can continue to draft good and sign well in the international market, you know, you can keep a stock minor league system, which means you use your minor league system to then feed your major league ball club, even if it's not bringing guys up all the time. It's, you know, trading two or three of those hot prospects to bring in an impact player. Yeah, it's it's going to be something that I, I just I worry. I worry a little bit. One person actually mentioned that, um, you know, in, in their reactions to Dombrowski coming in, one person actually suggested that this eviscerates everything the Red Sox had set up for the last 13 years, which I don't really agree with um you hope that there will be a balance i don't think um i don't think john henry would let someone come in and and completely destroy everything that they had built up now they might want to tweak it a little bit but i don't think he would let the organization completely run away from statistical analysis i i don't think that will happen but that's well, no, because that was that was almost as much a John Henry thing as anything. Oh yeah. Because John Henry as a businessman, and we see this with Liverpool, you know, John Henry does not have a never-ending supply of cash like the Yankees or like Manchester United or Chelsea or Manchester City. He's not have a never-ending supply of cash. He has got to be able to hit on some young, talented, cheaper players. And then fill in around them with good veterans who, you know, you may overpay some for, but still have to be somewhat affordable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- this isn't oil money. This isn't New York Yankee money here that the Red Sox are playing with. So I don't think you can completely abandon, you know, abandon the philosophy. See, in Detroit, Dombrowski had to work for Mike Illich. Mm-hmm. Mike Illich is like 90 years old and wants to win a World Series now. Right. You know, he, he, you know, I read a story today. He actually, there were about three or four signings where Mike Illich basically forced Dombrowski. I mean, God, they gave Prince Fielder $200 million. Yeah. Dombrowski didn't want to give Prince Fielder $200 million. <laughs> he was kind of forced to give Prince Fielder <laughs> $200 million uh, by his owner. So, you know, I mean, for what that's worth, um, this is going to also be a totally different regime for Dombrowski to work under. Mm-hmm. And that so that hopefully gonna... will help some. Um, 
also, we're going to now move into the zeitgeist. Uh, we're going to move from baseball to softball. Uh, we don't have a dumb NFL story of the week, despite more people getting into fights at camps and Robert Griffin III saying dumb things. We're going to have a There's dumb... Plenty out there. We're just going to give you all a week off. <laughs> we're going to give you a dumb softball story of the week, Wes. The league, the Little League Softball World Series going on uh, just ended tonight over in Portland, Oregon. And uh, one of the, uh, the controversies that came up this past week was that there may have been a team that actually attempted to throw a game and successfully accomplished this fact. Um, Snohomish, Washington uh, was playing a North Carolina team, actually from Salisbury. They they threw their game against the North Carolina side, uh, losing 8 nothing by having playing all their reserves, and the coaches ordering each batter to swing at pitches in the dirt and bunt with two strikes. So North Carolina won 8 nothing, which means they advanced to the title game to play Washington, uh, beating out a Central Iowa team on a tiebreaker. Now, <laughs> Snohomish had won its other two pool play games by a combined score of 21 to nothing, but had only beaten Central Iowa 4-3. So the coaches obviously thought, well, we want to avoid them in a finals rematch, so if we <laughs> throw this game against North Carolina... We'll play North Carolina in the final. We'll almost assuredly beat them. Um, and from WHO-TV, uh, Iowa's news leader, they had this to say, well, watch the game unfold. The Central Iowa girls also quickly realized what was happening. One of the coaches said it took about a half inning for the girls to catch on. We were trying to keep it from there, but you could see when they caught on that the tears started to pile up. It was pretty emotional. Um, we're taking this article from Deadspin, and apparently one Deadspin reader reports the lobby of the tournament hotel was full of, quote, pissed-off Iowans. So, there... Th you don't want nothing like that, man. Th this is, you know, scumbag tactics. If you're, if you're going to try to lose, try not to make it so obvious. But again, this is a Little League Softball World Series, Washington. Don't be scumbags about this. But here's the best part, Wes. Little League said, okay, even though we have a rule in place where technically we could kick out Washington for what they did, we're not going to do that. We're going to put in a one-game playoff, Washington versus Iowa, whoever wins goes to the semifinals. And that's how we're going to do it. <laughs> and Iowa beat Washington 3-2. to two. Karmic justice pays off in the end. I mean, that, that's literally as Bush League backwoods redneck bullcrap of anything I've ever I've ever heard of. <sighs> I mean, I've... I've I've been, around a I've been around a shitload of baseball, travel baseball, AAU, you know, Babe Ruth tournaments. I've been through, I've been in all this stuff. I've seen it. I've been up close. I have never seen anything like that. I have seen teams that we felt were trying to throw games before, mm -hmm. but we felt it. We could never prove it. Yeah. You know, it wasn't that blatant. <laughs> <laughs> That oh my lord, that's just that's that's the most insane thing I have ever read. I mean, how stupidly obvious can you be? And how I mean, okay, literally, I'm guessing these girls are like eleven and twelve. Yeah. I mean, what? 
what possesses you as a coach to then? I mean, you're basically slapping that North Carolina team in the face. Yeah. You're saying, I mean, you're saying we, we well, can we can beat you in the final anyway, so who cares? We'll let you come in. We don't want to play Iowa again. No. I mean, that's such a slap in the face of them. And not only that, if if my daughter was, you know, one of the reserves on that team, and all right, yeah, my girl, you know, my little girl's gonna get to play. Hey, you know, we've traveled, we've spent all this money this summer. You know, we understand she wasn't a starter. Now she's getting her chance to play. Oh my God! Why is she swinging at a ball ten feet above her head or a ball in the dirt? Right. You know, as a parent of the Washington team, I'm sitting there like, wait a goddamn minute. You know, so my kid's finally getting to play, and you're sitting here basically telling her to go out there and fuck it up. You know, no. If you wanted to do that, play your reserves. That's fine. But let your reserves play. Yeah. And if you get beat, you get beat. But I understand. You know, they were trying to get the tiebreaker and. Run differential, that's what they were going for. But, I mean, just that that is, as a youth coach, as someone who basically coaches that age group, because my kid's going into 11 ball this, this fall. Oh, yeah. 11, he'll be playing 11-12, so I'm basically coaching that age group. That is, that is one of the most disgusting things I've ever heard of from a youth league sports coach. And, and, and folks, Youth league sports can be as shady as anything you ever want to see. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, and this this may take the cake, which really, really says something. Yeah. Just just the worst kind of people in the world. Um, really, Little League should have just gone ahead and thrown them out of the tournament. Absolutely. Iowa shouldn't have had to have played a playoff game. But Even I'm though glad it they is, it's all the sweeter that Iowa beat them. So. Oh, oh, absolutely. If, if you're going to be forced to play, you want Iowa to win. And it was, it was great that they did. Um, unfortunately, Iowa did not end up making the finals. Uh, they, they did lose in the semifinals. But at least they got there fair and square and they got what they deserved and Washington really got what they deserved, which So who ended up winning it? Um I don't know. I mean the game was that game was actually on ESPN two tonight. I just didn't watch it. Uh, I can look it I up. I just wonder maybe if it was our North Carolina girls. Um while I look it up, Wes, uh let's hit the watch four. Actually no let's not hit the watch four. We have one more quick story. Um and it's not one we totally need to gloss over, but we are running a little low on time, unfortunately. But this is a big story, and it is that we have the first uh, active Major League Baseball player who is coming out as gay. Um, David Denson in the Brewers organization, he's at, I believe, Single A. Uh, He came out a couple days ago to his team, and he becomes the first active player affiliated with the Major League organization to come out publicly. So, you know, we had Michael Sam, Lester's big deal, you know, everything. But Wes, this guy, he's already on a major league roster, or not a major league roster, but he's on a, a minor league roster. He's already with an organization. He's already sort of playing with them. I, I, I don't think this is the same thing, but it's good on him that he felt comfortable enough about his teammates. It sounds like his teammates are supporting him in his endeavor. And he's, I mean, he is a good player. He's the Brewers' 27th ranked prospect. So he's not an awful player. Maybe he never reaches the majors. But still, a good player got drafted out of uh, high school from West Covina, California. He was drafted in the 15th round a couple years ago. So, you know, it, it's it's good to see that, you know, more 
and, and then not a huge fuss was made out of this as well. Like there is a story. This is a big moment in sports, but there wasn't the insane media coverage like there was for Michael Sam. Although I kind of wonder if that also wasn't just the NFL hype machine at work. Well, that, that was the thing. I mean, here, here's the deal. I mean, I, I just, I believe we're at a point in America where, I mean, who cares? Not, not trying to degrade the guy by any means, but it's just, you know, when you want to talk about equality, the greatest, oh, what am I thinking? The greatest example of equality is when something happens and it doesn't move the meter. Well, I, I, mean, I think it's important. I mean, this is, this one is important because he's the first Major League Baseball player to do it. And I think as long as we keep having well, these... But he's not a Major League Baseball player. He's a pro baseball player. Uh, all right. I mean, when when somebody from the Reds pops out and is out, I mean, I guess that's a little bigger, but... I don't know. I mean, I just... I mean, congratulations. I... I don't even want to say congratulations. I don't really know what I'm congratulating him for. I mean, okay, you know, you're gay. I'm straight. You know, what's Pat Smith going to say? Can you get on base? Can you hit? <laughs> I don't give a shit what you do outside of here. And I, I believe this day and age, I mean, you're still going to have your bigots out there. Don't get me wrong. Obviously, there's always going to be some racist. There's always going to be someone who's terrified of a gay person. Oh, yeah. But this day and age, athletes, athletes, and these are athletes who are always told that they're idiots and, you know, aren't up to date on society. I believe in athletics now, that's actually the perfect place to come out. Because, I mean, you know, at Missouri, all they cared about Michael Sam was he's a fucking SEC defensive player of the year. Yeah. You know, when he when he finally got to the NFL, it was, you know, I, I thought the best thing that could happen was actually for him to get cut. And I don't mean that in a bad way or an anti-gay way. What that showed me was that the St. Louis Rams, what at the end of the day, what they cared about, are you one of the best players? Are you going to help us win? Mm-hmm. And to me, that shows that shows more acceptance than if they had kept him just so they could say they kept the gay football player. No, they went about their daily business. Michael, you, you're just not good enough to play for this team. To me, the, the point is is not that it's a story. Because, because that's not the point. The point is not that it's, it should be a story that someone comes out. It, it, it should be a story that more and more... In in places that, you know, we we've we played sports, Wes. We played sports growing up. In mm-hmm. in in places that can and have been in the past almost notoriously homophobic, it is that people are starting to feel more comfortable to an extent coming out. And that's that's the story. It's not it, while it's great for this guy that he does come out, he's the first uh, player in a major league organization to do so. That's great. The The point is more that, that his teammates responded well to it. 
that that other people in the organization have responded well to it. That that he's still accepted, as you said, he, he there is that acceptance. So it's not so much a story that someone is coming out. It's a story that that people are feeling comfortable enough in a baseball locker room to do it. You know, Robbie Rogers felt comfortable enough to come out as an MLS soccer player. Uh, the umpire, whose name escapes me right now, who came out towards the end of last year, he felt comfortable enough to come out. And that's that's what it is. It's not so much the act of coming out that it should be newsworthy anymore. It's, it's the fact that people are comfortable enough and feel safe enough in these environments, which haven't always been a safe place for, for people who are homosexual to come out and be themselves. And that's what it is. And, and you're completely right about Michael Sam and, and, and the St. Louis Rams treating him as that. And that is great. And that should be part of the story, unfortunate as he is that he got cut, that they are willing to treat him like a normal person. But that should be the story, that, that they are open and accepting of who he is and are willing to treat him as a football player. And, and again, in a culture... Where where there is there has been a stigma in the past against homosexuality, and that's what I think the story is. Well, and I mean, and that's the thing, you know. I, I, I guess we're going to get one of these in every major sport. Well, I mean, I guess we've, I guess we've kind of gotten it in every major sport now because the Collins twin yeah. in the NBA. Yep. I guess we're just kind of waiting for that actual, like I said, a guy in a major league clubhouse to come out. Mm-hmm. And I mean, at that point, I guess we can go with our lives. And I will say this: I mean, a baseball clubhouse is a culture unlike any other, because in Major League Baseball, you know, in the NFL, you play sixteen games, mm-hmm. twenty-one if you go to the Super Bowl. All right, um, Major League Baseball, you basically play. Eight months out of the year. Yeah, you're playing. You're playing spring training about March, and you're finishing up March, almost April, early May, November. Uh, yeah, August, September. Yeah, so seven months. If you go to, if you get in the playoffs, if you get in the playoffs, you're going a full eight months. And in the major leagues, there are not those days off. Mm-hmm. You might get a day off every couple of weeks, you know. Um, but every day you're traveling. You're in the clubhouse, and the thing is, when you're in the clubhouse. You're in the clubhouse from like noon. If you, it's a, if it's a night game, you're in the clubhouse from like noon to midnight, mm-hmm. and then you play the game in between. You know, um, that is one of those so tight cultures because you're literally with that person all the time. Oh yeah. You know, no, yeah, you don't have to go out and eat dinner with him. You know, you don't have to, you know, ride in the rental car with him. But you're on the plane, you're on the bus, you're in the clubhouse, you're with him all the time. So, you know, if if you've got a group of guys in that clubhouse who decide I'm not going to accept this person, they can very easily make his life a living hell. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I just I think America has evolved enough that in this day and age, it's all about production now. Yeah. You know, I, I think people, a, a lot of people, and like I said, athletes, especially on this, because, you know, athletes get such a bad rap that they, you know, they're so into their sport that, you know, they don't understand what's going on around them so much. Mm-hmm. But I think part of that almost makes them 
the perfect Petri dish for this movement because now guys are so in tuned. Can you make me a better player? Can you help me achieve my goals? I don't give a crap who you're banging outside of the clubhouse. (laughs) You know, I don't care if it's Eve or if it's Steve. (laughs) And I just, I think that almost this, this day and age, athletes are more accepting than the outside society are. And it's because in a baseball clubhouse, I have to rely on the guy next to me. On a football field, I have to rely on the next guy. On a basketball court, I have to rely on you. You know, on a soccer field, I have to rely on you. So I don't really care that you're gay. I, I would I would hope that that's be the that's you know what I, mean? I, I hope. hope. I mean, there's there 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 are going to be pockets. I mean, there was the Richie Incognito with the Dolphins, you know, a little while ago that made yeah. you start to kind of wonder and that's that's the kind of culture just a massive dickhead but the problem is there are the and i'm not saying there's a lot he is he is an extreme example but i wouldn't be surprised if especially i feel like in football you know we like we love to slam the nfl here but i feel like in football those are probably more prevalent in clubhouses especially because you have 53 guys you know your your chances of having a couple dickheads go way up when you have that more players well, and that too, I mean, you know, in, uh, how do I put this? You know, in football, you've got guys who, you know, sports in general, your jock culture are guys who like to give each other shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, I was, you know, one of my best friends, a good friend of the pod, baseball Brit. Baseball Brick got married a couple weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. I'm one of the groomsmen. Every one of the groomsmen, we all went to high school together. We all played football together. We all played a little baseball together. And what did we do the entire weekend? We talked so much shit to each other that it wasn't funny. They made fun of me for shit I did when I was 15. I made fun of them for shit they did when they were 16. Our favorite story about our friend Chris Falk was the touchdown catch that he had at Northern Durham where the grass tackled him at the five-yard line. Um, they love drilling me about a midnight madness where I broke my hand. <laughs> but, but of course, no, all I did was jam. According to them, all I did was jam my finger. No, I broke my fucking hand, but whatever. <laughs> um, you know, we're giving Brit shit about stuff he's done. Yeah, but that's what we do. We're, we joke with each other. We cut each other. At the end of the day, you're still tight. You're still buddies. You're still, you know, there for each other. And I, I'm, I'm, I would assume that could get uncomfortable at times, you know, if, if the ribbing got a little too out of control. But uh, I just I think sports today is actually a good place for this to happen because I think people need to look at it. Well, God, you know, if these alpha male athletes can accept it, then why can't I accept it? That is going to be our discussion on that. And I think, as usual, we handled it with a deft touch as only the two of us can. So Wes, with the... With the thank, thank God Sex Ferguson already left. Thank God. Thank God. Um, as we're winding down the pod, Wes, let's go ahead and skip Watch 4 for the week, uh, and let's hit a SummerSlam led by Jon Stewart in So Raw. You were so, you're so down with that that Jon Stewart's going to be at SummerSlam. I was kind of excited, yeah. 
Well, you think about it. I mean, this is, as I heard today on a podcast, this is John, this is kind of big, actually. I mean, this is John Stewart's very first post daily show gig. Yeah. You know, and, and of all places, the WWE has it. He's hosting SummerSlam. Not that he's going to have a lot to do with SummerSlam out there. You know, he'll be the guy who opens the the festivities and, you know, he might have a little stare down with Seth Rollins, who he's had a feud with now for a while, uh, which has been a little more off screen, but funny, I think, uh, to most wrestling fans. Um, all right. So John Stewart hosting, where do we begin John Cena made his return to Monday Night Raw this week, uh, still looking like a male model because he's John Cena. Of course. And he can have his face completely busted wide open. And two weeks later, he looks better than I will ever look in my <laughs> life, unfortunately. Um, Seth Rollins cuts a scathing promo on Cena before he comes out. This is a, they were having a contract signing for their title versus title match coming up this Sunday night at, at uh, the Barclays center in Brooklyn. Um, John Cena putting his U S championship up against Seth Rollins world championship. Uh, let's say Rollins. God, he cut an amazingly good promo on Cena and then out came John Cena and Cena proceeded to cut a scathing promo back on Rollins. And that got me hyped because when those two get going, that's, that's, that's fun, man. John Cena, for as much as I don't care for John Cena, the last six months, he's, he's really picked up the ball and run with it, man. He's been good. Good. Since they got him out of the world title scene, it's, it's almost like a little weight's been lifted off of him and he's been able to do some different things. Now he's back in it, but he's kind of got like this different little edge to him now than he did because of some of the things he had been able to do. Um, so we've got that coming up. A lot of anticipation for that match. Uh, he did kind of poke the bear a little bit when um, he, he mentioned, he mentioned uh, that Triple H had passed his legacy on down to uh, Seth Rollins and that Ric Flair had passed his legacy to Triple H. So basically, you know, Rollins is right along the line of Ric Flair uh, John Cena says, you know, the uh, the only difference is that, um, you know, Triple H was never Ric Flair's bitch. <clears throat> and then John Cena finishes his uh, promo when he said, and Sunday night in Brooklyn, I'm going to make you my bitch. Oh, ah, John Cena, you son of a bitch. So um, we're, we're, we're ready for that one. Big time, big time ready for that one. Um, I'm just going to throw out some of the others before we get to the main event. Uh, one I'm looking forward to, uh, Roman Reigns, your boy, and my boy, Dean Ambrose, tagging up with each other as they will take on Luke Harper and Bray Wyatt, the reformed Wyatt family. I mean, literally, we're missing two guys here, and we would have the Shield versus the Wyatts, which, Ed, you just don't know. You just don't know. I don't. I how, one, how, for, how amazing that was for two Raws in one pay-per-view. And then they left so much on the table with what that could have been. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you want to talk about some hot crowds, some people just absolutely losing their shit on Monday nights. The the back-to-back weeks where they had the uh, face-off between the Wyatts and the Shield were just uh, amazing. Just amazing. Just amazing. Um, so we've got that coming up. That's going to be a really good tag match. 
going to be a whole lot of fun there. Really looking forward to that. Um, hmm, what else have we got? We have got, uh, oh, your boy, Stephen Amell. Ah. I don't really know if he's your boy. I just keep saying it because he's a superhero. Uh, absolutely. Even though I've never watched an episode of Arrow, but, you know, it's cool. No, no. But hey, there's another great WWE crossover. I mean, that's, that's what it. they're pretty good at this whole crossover thing. They've been good at it for about 30 years now. <laughs> uh, they cross Hollywood into wrestling. Um, he and Neville are going to be taking on Stardust and uh, the Cosmic King, Wade Barrett. Those two, uh, Barrett and Stardust, threw out a killer promo this past week um, that actually got me a lot more interested in that match than I had been. So those guys did their job. They sold me on it. Uh, what do we got? What do we got? Uh, we've got the 14 tag team title match, which I don't have high hopes for. What well, it's it's whatever. Uh, the Divas. We have a three three team nine girl elimination match. What could be good? Well, see right now with the Divas. Here's here's the problem you have. Okay, they're pushing this whole Divas Revolution thing, which is cool. You know, because, Ed, crazy thing, the ladies can wrestle. That's good. That is good. At it. But the thing is, it's like they brought up three of them at once who are all as good, if not better, than anyone else on the roster. And <clears throat> they're trying to shoehorn everybody in to make sure they can give all these girls maximum exposure, but also give exposure to some of the girls who are already on the roster. So instead of your normal one-on-one or even tag team, you've, you've got about seven legitimate girls here. And then you've got maybe two that are a little more filler just because, you know, you had to kind of even up the numbers. So they're going to run an elimination tag team match, which basically means, um, you know, you're you're in the match until you're either pinned or you submit or you're disqualified or counted out, and then at the end it'll be down to two, and you know whoever wins wins. Uh, I, I'm looking for that'll that'll be good. That'll be good. I just I hope they give it enough time where it doesn't suck. But I think they will. The way they've been pushing the divas, I think they will. And that's nice. I mean it's it's been good. It's been really fun. Um, Ryback's back. Don't give a shit about him. Never have. Um, <clears throat> Dolph Ziggler returned this week uh, to face Rusev um, over Lana and Summer Rae. It's this whole love thing. It's actually pretty fun uh, because Lana might be the hottest chick I've ever seen in my life, and I love her so much. She was actually one of the Florida State cowgirls back in the day. You've mentioned that. She's very American, but speaks with a Russian accent. Um. Gorgeous, blonde, all that good stuff. You, you know it. You know how it goes. Yes. Um, so that'll that'll be a fun match. <clears throat> and then the big one, at the end of the night, the main event, the rematch, 16 months in the making, The Undertaker and Brock Lesnar what? will face off uh, in a match being dubbed as too big for WrestleMania. Um, Taker, of course... Came back last month at the pay-per-view and cost Brock Lesnar a shot at the world title. Um, when Lesnar was basically pinning Seth Rollins and the lights went out and Taker ended up beating the shit out of Brock Lesnar. Um, <clears throat> that's going to be really good. They've had really good build-up for that one. Paul Heyman just gets better every week. I mean, he's now invoking 
He's now invoking Lesnar as being Christ-like almost. Of course. <laughs> Which, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, this is a guy. He's a hype man. He's a promoter, basically. He's an advocate. So, you know, every every week you gotta make your client seem that much bigger, that much better. <coughs> so um yeah, so Lesnar's up there with Jesus now, basically, according to Heyman. Um, but I mean that's that's your SummerSlam card. I think there's a couple other matches in there, but <clears throat> I can't really remember them. But it, it's gonna be fun, man. A four hour event Sunday night. The only disappointing thing around our house, the boys start school on Monday. Womp womp. Can't stay up for the whole thing. I feel for him, man. He's pumped. He he really wants to see Cena and Rollins, and I just don't know if he's going to be able to make it. Now, that should be the semi-main. <clears throat> I would figure that match would go on sometime between 9.45 and 10. I think that's going to be a little late for the boy, though. Ah, oh, poor boy. He'll just have to work. He'll just have to watch on the WWE Network, which you can get now for nine ninety five a month. Nine ninety nine, Ed. Have you been missing the commercials? Oh, I'm sorry. Jeez. My bad. WWE oh, Network. Nine ninety five will be a great price point. There you go. Save that four cents. That's a lot over a course of a year. Um, so that'll do it for episode 68 uh, of the all-new sports show, The Podcast. Uh, we had a lot of stuff to talk about today, as you probably noticed. Uh, but we'll have much more to talk about next week, more Champions League, more Premier League, and a whole lot more action. Of course, the all-new sports of the show will be in fine form this Sunday night because of SummerSlam. It will be pre-recorded on <laughs> Saturday afternoon after but our first week first of high week school of football season. I was just about to say, first week of high school football season. So we'll have interviews and stuff like that because I know a lot of you who listen to the pod also love watching our local show on WHIGTV in Rocky Mount and streaming worldwide at WHIGTV.com. We so love you, Russia. Oh, we do. God, we love you, Rush. Thanks for giving us so many views on YouTube. Um, and speaking of YouTube, you can find us there at The All New Sports Show. You can find us on Facebook, All New Sports Show, Twitter, or at All New Sports Show. Wes, you are? At Wes Bradshaw 21. I am at Edward Green. This podcast is presented to you by NGSC Sports and NGSCSports.com, where we never stop. We'd also like to thank uh, Stitcher Radio, Spreaker.com, the TuneIn Radio app, iHeartRadio, the iTunes Music Store, and Podbean.com is where anywhere else you listen to us for providing this podcast direct to you, our faithful listeners. We would not do this without you. So before we get out of here tonight, Wes, anything before we... Anything to say before we leave as I screw up this outro? I'm so glad Sex Ferguson left before we got going tonight. He was in rare mode. You don't even want to know it. You you folks really don't want to know. Um, so for my, my call, Wes Bradshaw, not for Sex Ferguson, for myself, Edward Green, thank you so much for listening to this week's The All New Sports <laughs> Show, the podcast. We'll catch you guys back next week when we'll know who will be playing in the Champions League group stage. Good night, everybody. Good night, Tibet. Ah, free, free. Be free, Tibet. Be free. Love Ah. you, Brad Pitt. Oh, yeah, him too. It's been seven years there. Yeah, uh, you know, he might be in the...
You're listening to NGSE Sports Radio. Hear us live on NGSEsports.com where you can get awesome analysis for all things sport. Or check out our podcasts on iHeartRadio, Spreaker, iTunes, TuneIn, and much more. For our latest videos, head to NGSC Sports YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter 